everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Nunes is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Syracuse is blowing teams out, except for tonight when it is, you know. Maybe not. Who knows? We'll see. You know, there's a there's a, a half of basketball left uh, as of this recording. There will be less by the time we finish. But, uh, yeah, no, a, a pretty good – I mean, last we, we left things on a pretty somber note after that pick game last week, and uh, we proceeded to beat two teams, including one ranked team, by a lot of points. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think everything's perfect, and I hope it. Like, I feel like a lot of us, like even you and I, were kind of like, and who usually a little more rational and level-headed about things, we're pretty like all in on this team after they beat BC by a ton, um, and then like the wheels started coming off a little bit against like Buffalo, um, and then we had the pause. Everything came back. I think the Miami game I wouldn't take a lot from just because of the state of that team when we face them. Uh, I think Virginia Tech. Maybe there's some caveats there too. Um, but they were a ranked team. I think they're still going to be a, a pretty solid team that gets into the tournament. Um, and I think while, you know, you're not going to be able to beat everyone by 20 plus and, and, and Virginia Tech was a good matchup for us. I, I also think that, you know, SU is at least discovering some of the ways that it can beat teams in, in, in you know, depending on, uh, on, on what's happening in the game. So like we talked about it earlier in the year, like, the fact that this team can make adjustments and, and beat you when the threes aren't falling. Like they only took 13 threes against um, Virginia tech. They only made four of them. And, and yet we're still able to win a game, you know, going away um, just by driving inside and attacking the middle um, of Virginia tech's defense. So I, I think realistically, like SU definitely has the ability to beat you in various ways. I just think it's a, it's whether or not they're committed to doing so. Um, on a nightly basis. And, and I mean, so far in this Virginia game, at least um, I kind of posited before the game that it was probably going to have to be more of a three point um, centric contest than we'd probably like. Um, that's been the case so far, uh, two of 11 as of when I'm talking to you um, here, but you know, Virginia is, is an efficient team. They are an accurate team from, from three pretty much from everywhere on the floor. Um, so SU's, taken out of their game here, but not so much so that they can't come back in the second half. I will say, and this game, it's kind of bouncing between where it looks like Virginia is going to just kind of run away with it and where Syracuse is keeping things relatively, uh, you know, in keeping pace. Virginia is now up nine with like less than 30 seconds left in the first half. Um, Early on, like Syracuse just seemed to have no interest in trying to do anything offensively besides just check up shots. Uh, and for a bit here, we seem to have gotten back into this by attacking uh, attacking the paint, letting Quincy do some stuff, letting Marek do some stuff. Um, you know, the things that we call for every game, it is frustrating that, like, it seems to take longer than it should for that to be the case. Um, and while, and meanwhile, like, we're letting Virginia get, like, some really easy shots for Hauser, who has, uh, I think, like, three for five or three for six already, uh, maybe four for something. But, um, yeah, it's it's... A, like Syracuse seems to either look really good or really bad. And it's tough when a team isn't super even keel when they run really hot or cold. And like, you know, that pick game, they couldn't have looked worse. And then the next few games, they looked like really, really good the whole time, basically. Um, and now Virginia, I will say, like, I guess there's some comfort in the fact that I don't think we played a very good first half at all. And we're down nine. Um, but I also think it, it shows some of the frustrations where like this team 
will have games where it knocks down shots and like is just red hot from outside and buddy can't be stopped. And Joe is having one of his games and Griffin's hitting shots. And, and that, you know, if that's happening, that's fine. Like let it roll. But I do think they need to be quicker to, you know, seeing when the shots are not falling, getting Kadari in there, getting to the paint because they they're pretty effective by at the rim. As we've talked about for weeks now, like they're one of the more efficient teams that's throwing at the rim in large part, because um, you have like, the darts who can hit the floaters. You have Tadari who's good there. And then you have Darier, who's one of the most efficient players in college basketball. Um, and then overall, I think you just need, we just need Dick Quincy the ball more. Like, and this has been another thing we've still been doing for weeks. Just because he's super efficient doesn't mean we shouldn't like start to add some volume. Like I know that, you know, he won't, he won't be storing like the same at the same efficiency numbers. If we're like forcing things to him a little bit more. And I'm not saying that he needs to be, you know, driving his usage rate up to like 30%. He doesn't have to be James Harden, but um, there's just no reason why you don't draw up more stuff for him, especially with how good he is when he, he you know, has that quick one move and taking the ball off the, uh, taking defenders off the dribble and, and is so good at like being that really, you know, head full of steam guy towards the basket. So yeah, just like I'm both kind of encouraged by the fact this game is as close as it, as it is, because I think Syracuse played pretty poorly and Hauser is red hot, but also like, this thing could get could fall apart if we just let Virginia get hot in the first half in the beginning of the second half. And um, it just seems like there are things that like we should know the, like as an answer at this point, like letting Quincy cook a little bit more. And it's frustrating that we're still in the point where, you know, we have to like hope and beg for these things. Yeah. I mean, the fact that things seem to reset every game and that we don't just continue what worked um, from game to game is a bit odd. I don't really know what the off the game planning looks like, um, internally, but it definitely seems like there is a bit of a disconnect uh, from night to night about what works versus what's done. Uh, the one thing I will say in this game, though, that's been a little bit of an adjustment, uh, Joe Girard, 0 for 1 from the field, uh, not necessarily like letting him just like go off. Um, you know, he missed 1-3, but realistically, like not just letting him just keep firing away. And I feel like sometimes, you know, between him and Buddy, like if both of them aren't hitting, and, and that's been the case. I mean, that was the case and then the last week, even where you know the two of them barely hit anything, um, and and Essie was still able to, to gather a win. Like if if, if they can avoid having Gerard just chuck up shots, um, Buddy. I mean, four for nine, but he's only one for five from outside. Like, but Buddy at least has that um, you know type of transition in his game where he says, okay, like I'm going to go uh, for more mid range shots. I'm going to go on the interior. Like he has nine points to lead all scores for SU. Um, obviously again, we're not going to recap the first half because that's stupid. Um, but Gary, not an overly efficient first half, uh, two for eight from the floor, four points, um, losing the rebounding battle by a few, but SU is also not really moving the ball, um, around effectively. And I think, you know, ball movement for SU is, is so big because realistically, like you can't play ISO ball with, um, with, Buddy is like your primary like ball handler necessarily. Um, and I saw that for a bit when, when Virginia Tech started getting his look a little bit more tight um, the other day, like a weird ISO game from Buddy Beheim where he like nobody else touches the ball. He kind of dribbles it around on, on the perimeter, then proceeds to like drive the lane only to pull up for like a weird, uh, you know, kind of mid range. Not really. I, I wouldn't think is the offense where we're, we're drawing up necessarily. At, at the same time, like being able to give him more confidence to to, to drive it inside um, could be helpful. I think what, what would be even more helpful, though, is if that also led to, um, you know, maybe some more assists 
um, on top of that. He has two in, in the first half in this game. But, you know, allow, like if, if, if events start moving toward him while he drives the lane, it, it does open things up uh, for, for other shooters potentially. Yeah, I, I just think we're at a point where, like, if both Beheim and Gerard are not hitting shots, like, I don't know that you can really afford to have both of them on the floor. Um, obviously, we've been a, a preeminent uh, Kadari Richmond uh, podcast for a bit here. Um, I just think, like, uh, the first four shots of this game were so bad. Uh, I was like, we just need to – anytime where the offense is just totally out of sync, just get Richmond in the game. And then, like, eventually you can put Joe back in or put Buddy back in. That's fine. But, like – it just seems like every time we're super out of sync, Kadari like pretty quickly gets things rolling in the right direction, and that happened again in the first half tonight. Um, I'm just very like I, I just think we need to be very quick trigger about that. Like, find something that's making the offense work, and when the offense gets out of sync, which happens basically every half uh, for years now, but especially this year, switch it up and just like get something new going because like we really can't afford to have these crazy slumps especially when the defense isn't good enough to like just lock it up on the other side like you can't both have a crazy offensive slump and also let sam hauser hit four or five threes on you in the first half so um yeah hopefully tonight you know obviously everyone who's listening to this will know the result by the time you hear this but hopefully we start to see more of that and i like i did appreciate that richmond got in there relatively quickly today i think it was the first like three or four minutes but um yeah i just think it needs to be something going forward i don't think we can afford to just like let buddy and joe figure it out and you know if they go 10 minutes without any you know anything happening we're just gonna like fall out of games here because we're afraid to go to the bench for whatever reason yeah i mean i think with this stretch here um and and obviously you know some consideration for the fact that both dealt with covid uh but but realistically like there aren't a lot of teams in the country that that send out two very streaky shooters um, as their primary kind of options on offense and, and allow them to kind of figure it out as the game goes when they have some potential uh, options to sub in. Like the game I was alluding to earlier uh, was that Virginia Tech game. SU won by 18, but uh, you look at the, the, the line for Gerard and Buddy, uh, a combined 72 minutes. Uh, they went 5 of 18 from the floor, 12 points uh, in total, like – seven assists between them, which I guess is good. Eight rebounds, which is actually better than normal for the two of them. Like, but, but realistically, like why play the two of them for 72 minutes and play Kadari for only 15 when Kadari was actually five of six from the floor for 13 points. <laughs> like it's, and, and like, and then after like the Miami game where, where Richmond and, and Edwards seemed to create a bit of a spark off the bench, um, and, and giving them extended minutes was helpful. Uh, you know, Richmond only got 15 minutes, despite the fact that he was one of the most efficient players on the field on the floor for Syracuse. Meanwhile, Edwards got, you know, two minutes and, and in an 18 point blowout, like we're not really utilizing the bench at all. And we complained about this last week too, like in a blowout, no matter which way it goes, like, the, like there's, there's depth to develop here. And, and realistically having basically like six players play in, in an 18 point win, it, it boggles the mind and it's going to continue to boggle the mind. And I, I don't want to sit here and like just bemoan a point that like a whole thing coach isn't going to change what he's doing at this point. But I do think that he hasn't always done this. We've had, you know, rotations that go deeper than this. We've, we've made changes uh, when necessary. And, and, and it, obviously I don't want to complain too much about an 18 point win, but I do want to point out that there are some ways that an 18 point win could have potentially been utilized better um, at the back end of it when we could have gotten, you know, valuable minutes again for, for some younger guys. 
especially after the Miami game, and obviously Miami is a team that has, you know, numerous of its own issues, has players missing, you know, as we alluded to. But the Miami game was like a really definitive blowout, and it opened up when we got Edwards and Kadari in there a lot. Like, and and we even saw some, um, some time for some of the other guys farther down the bench. But, like, Jesse played a ton in that game and played really well. And, like, obviously, like, didn't put a huge mark on the stat sheet, but like the defense I thought actually picked something up with him in there. He uh, he's a presence and inside, even if he's still like trying to find his way in terms of exactly what he's supposed to be doing on a moment to moment basis. But yeah, you'd think that that game would have given Bayheim a little more um, or a little less reluctance in terms of putting those bench guys in. And instead like, yeah, we didn't see him really at all in the Virginia Tech game and like not going to complain about a, a win over a ranked team, probably the biggest one of the year so far, but same thing tonight. Like, you know, you saw a little bit of area and I think I unless I miss someone, I mean, I have the stats up, I can just look, but uh, it, you know, it's been six guys. Yeah. Kader is the only one who's gotten in. Um, so it's, it's very frustrating um, because like either the team's down and you, you would think that you can uh, find something com- from going to the bench, especially when things are out of sorts or the team is up big, like it was in that game and it's fat tech. And like, when else are you going to put these players in? Like, what, what are you, what are you waiting for? Um, we don't have any non-conference left. Like, and you have to develop people. And, like, I it, I don't want to, like, reduce this to, like, the whole this is why we've had so many players transfer thing. But I do think you could probably reduce However, this risk. is why we've had so many players so, transfer. So, yeah, this is exactly why I've had so many players transfer. And, like, a lot of those players, like, I, there was a tweet uh, over the weekend, like, kind of showing where everyone, like, was at. And, like, I don't know that there was a ton of guys that would have been, like, huge contributors here. And on, to, to Bayham's credit, I guess... The guys who have left, the only one who I can think of off the top of my head who had like a really, who I think really would have been great here is BJ Johnson, who ended up being a really good mid-major player. Um, most of the guys who have transferred have kind of, you know, haven't amounted to much uh, in terms of like big stats. I think Matt Moyer's having a nice year for Vanderbilt, but it's taken a bit for him. And, you know, he's probably found a place that like was was better for him to come along. But you're going to like eventually lose someone who could have been really good at Syracuse because... You didn't give them any time. And it's not like we're talking about, like, you have to play with Jesse Edwards for 25 minutes a night. But, like, show them that there's a pathway to, to, to contributing here as a sophomore. And, like, I don't know. It's just very frustrating because, you know, transfers, not just for Syracuse. I don't even think it's a Syracuse problem that more players are leaving. I think it's um, Bayheim not adjusting to the current uh, pace at which players leave every school. And you want to make sure you can retain players beyond just, like, you know, the time where they're, if they're not like, you know, emerging as a, a major factor right away. Um, that's just not, I, I don't think you can run a program effectively that way. If you're going to have so much turnover, both guys going to the NBA, the first second, it looks like they can plus guys leaving the first second where it doesn't seem like they're going to be uh, a factor in the rotation. Like there's just too many outside forces uh, driving people away from the program. And it, it's going to be very hard to sustain the kind of numbers that you need to be a, a factor. And we've talked about like the the uh, scholarship crunch from the violate the the NCAA stuff being like a pretty big factor in their struggles in recent years. But you're kind of you're you're adding to it yourself if you're going to not do the things you can to like retain talented players who may amount to being really good juniors or seniors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No, completely correct, and 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 it it shows a failure. And again, like this isn't to just harp on Behind the whole time. Like he's obviously done plenty of good here. And like even this season, like you can see, like he, he's coached them well in various spots. Um, but realistically, like in 2021, you, you can't expect guys to sit around for three years and then they get a chance to play senior year. You can't expect to recruit a bunch of like projects, you know, at, at the forward positions and then expect uh, a team to be able to like suddenly have, you know, a top 25 level talent like there, like, it, like you can develop guys and like, you know, you, you found diamonds in the rough guys like Dolzhai, like being like just the, the most recent example of someone who like came along, clearly did the, the, the work and, and is an effective guy. But like, realistically, like if you don't have a ton of top 100 recruits, you're not going to have results indicative of being like one of the top programs in the country. And that's kind of what we've seen from Syracuse of late and, and sanctions are, 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 are a factor, but they're, they're more of a crutch. I think at this point, than anything else when it comes to like what SU has and hasn't done. I, I think, I think adapting to the modern, you know, way of, of playing where like SU isn't bringing in NBA ready guys. So like, if you're not, you have to be able to, I don't, I don't know how we could be so entrenched on, on a certain lineup when we're not really bringing in a lot of NBA ready guys like Gary, a, you know, luckily he stuck with everything after, after last year. And now you look at the, the jump he's made, like, that that's a development success story, but then like there's plenty of guys that continue to leave because they don't feel like they're getting that pathway. Like Gary A was getting minutes last year, and he was a guy that had some fanfare around him, but still wasn't a top hundred guy. Like Richmond is a top hundred guy, but also is barely you know getting his, an opportunity uh, to contribute despite looking pretty good when he does. And 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 because NBA scouts kind of see him as a future prospect, it would behoove SU to get him more minutes now so that he feels like SU is the place where he's going to be able to position himself for the future because he's not really that far behind in years, um, you know, to the apparently entrenched, uh, you know, guard combo of, of, of Buddy and Gerard. Yeah, it's and, – and obviously this is far from, like, just a Bayheim problem. Like, you can don't have to look that far to see other older coaches who are really struggling with various aspects of college basketball in 2020 to 2021. Um, obviously coach Tay had his whole blow up this weekend, which is not far from the first time that's happened. Uh, Kentucky's a, a hot mess and he's not, you know, Calipari is a much younger coach. Um, UNC has been a mess for a couple of years now. So this is far from like Bayheim is the only one who has, has struggled with modernity in college basketball. And admittedly things have changed a lot in the last couple of years, but like, I think it's not that hard to diagnose where the issues are. And, and there just seems to be a real, like, reluctance to try to fix them which is is troubling i don't know i don't know if like yeah it's 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 annoying overall because i i feel like we we kind of have been talking about a lot of the same things just with like different pieces plugged in here and there especially in the post hop years and and maybe that maybe that changes soon because hopkins has also struggled even though he is far from like the elderly coach uh, out of touch, et cetera. Like there's, but he's brought know. in those guys uh, like, and, and oddly can't get the results he's looking for. Right. And so it's, it's, it's definitely not like just a Bayheim thing. And also it's just definitely not like a, a one size fits all issue across college basketball and with, with uh, uh, you know, who's struggling where, like, I think right now you're seeing more quote unquote blue blood struggling 
across like just numerous different issues and others like not being able to, to figure it out. And, you know, there was, I forget what the tweets were this, this weekend that people were getting mad about, but like something about like, you know, in the, the, the constant debate over the, who the blue bloods are and how Indiana and UCLA are still there. And it's like, all right, well, how long do those schools? And this is like completely going in a different direction, but it's like, how long do those schools have to like figure it out before we start to, it was, it was someone getting mad about Villanova getting called a blue blood, which I don't really think they are because it's like kind of a recent stretch, but like, how long does in, do UCLA and Indiana get to to just like languish in in complete like irrelevancy <laughs> before people just like pull them out from from the conversation? Because hey, like I'd much rather be a Villanova or honestly like a UConn where you have like a lot of recent success over you know decades than Indiana or UCLA right now. Um, so like again, it could be way worse because like even Bayheim has way more consistent success across eras than like those two programs who apparently will just, you know, people talk about their struggles, but, but they're never going to lose their blue blood status, whatever that, you know, entails, even though it seems like, you know, the world has kind of taken that away from them based on like recruiting and inability to win with like numerous big coaches and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't want to make it seem like we're the only school struggling with anything, but it does hit closer to home because like, obviously we follow Syracuse day to day and we don't follow other schools day to day the same, the same way. I mean, I could dive into the blue blood conversation because you don't have time for that, um, nor does anyone really. Um, and, and plus, I've done it in article form. Uh, oh, a we've done times. it here. Yeah. And it, it hasn't changed because those two schools haven't carried their weight at all, except for like the Ben Howland years, which were, um, if I'm checking uh, my calendar, uh, before I was in college. <laughs> so I mean, I'll, like... I'll, I'll give them credit for 06, 07, 08. They did make it three straight years. Yeah. And that's that, like, that matters. That was. But, 13 years ago right that was yeah at this point that was 13 years ago and indiana doesn't um, even have that stretch right yeah like they indiana have, doesn't like, have 16. indiana doesn't have that uh they last made the championship in what 2002 against maryland yeah that was the last time they've made it outside the sweet 16 i think yeah like that's pretty wild meanwhile ucla um only four final four trips since 1980 so like 1980 was the last one when did Wooden coach until? Wooden was the coach until 75. So they still managed to like be relevant past that, but they only lasted so long. And then, yeah, I mean, they won in 90, they won in 95. And then 06, 07, and 08 are the only other final fours they've been to since like our lifetimes. Yeah. Well, so I think to like circle back, like, you know, the, the struggles for Syracuse are like a lot less than a lot of other programs of like, the top few tiers of college basketball, but they are there. And it feels like they've been pretty consistent over like the last five or six years. And, and they still managed to get past them. I think, and, and this is probably the controversial opinion to those outside the program is like, because of the zone. <laughs> like I think like, in a large part. Yeah, no, I think it's a big part of it. Yeah. Like it's absolutely a big part of it. Like, like you look at, again, you look at like UCLA has hit like the depths, like even UNC, a, a program that is historically better than us is historically has more money than us has more resources. And yet like UNC's depths have been far worse than ours when they hit. I mean, they could bounce back quickly. They have more inbound talent every year. They have more NBA players on, on you know, annual basis, but like UNC's depths have been far beyond what ours have been. Pretty um, much every, every program, like every top. I mean, Duke hasn't had depths really. Duke, Duke, Duke hasn't had it um this year <laughs> we'll see oh, what happens when we play them caveats um, but yes but i think every other program that's in like that top two tier conversation has had like a sub 500 season like kentucky had uh has had one i think 
Um, and, and, you know, we've seen what happened with them before Cal obviously wasn't pretty. And this year they're pretty bad. Um, UNC's had multiple sub 500 years. New Villanova has a semi-recent sub 500 year, I think. Right. Arizona, like what's like kind of a mess every so often. So it's just like, maybe more, I guess like, hopefully. and we're just never that bad. Like our worst years were on the bubble and there's a lot to that. Like, and we, and we also don't have like the allure of like, I mean, realistically, like it's not like the, the dome is what it is. And it's a, it's a historic venue for college basketball and all that but like we don't have like weather in our favor we don't have historic rivalries anymore in our favor like we don't have los angeles in our favor like like none of these things are selling points i mean i've said this before walk around duke's campus and you see very clearly beyond just coach k and and all the other stuff you see very clearly why somebody wants to go there Mm. yeah it's uh it's interesting because like you know we it's hard to belabor like where things have been considering some of the struggles elsewhere, but at the same time, like they do seem so fixable. And that's, that's where I think a lot of the, uh, it's not like they're, they're just like myst- mysteries. Like we can't figure out what's wrong. So like, no, we've, we've talked about them consistently. It's just like, <laughs> it just seems like a, a refusal to like, just say, okay, this isn't working. So let's blow it up and, and figure out something new, or at least like, let's make these heavy adjustments that people want to see, whether it's, you know, whether it's with the zone or whether it's with the recruiting, uh, kind of approach etc cetera, etc cetera. but um or whether it's you know joe gerard just taking another bad three for no reason um it's forty-one thirty for those listening and trying to figure out where we are in this conversation um, <laughs> um yeah so i guess you know that that kind of got a little sprawling but but that's fine it, it is what it is like such as such as this podcast yes that's true you, you don't listen to this for like coherent concise conversations no. Um, Dan, why do pay some bills? And then uh, we can talk a little bit about beer. So I uh, wanted to give a shout out to our friends over at Homefield Apparel. Once again, uh, they're back. They're, they're back. Nice enough to sponsor us here. Uh, you can get 10% off with Noons10 as your code. If you want to buy any Syracuse gear or gear from, let's say, Loyola or UC Irvine or any other random Tulane, of course, any other random team we talk about on this program with some frequency. You can do that. They'll also have uh, this Friday through Saturday free shipping if you use uh, free ship noons as, as a code. So keep those in mind if you're looking for maybe Valentine's Day. Maybe you have a Syracuse fan in your life. Maybe you maybe you don't, and you want to give yourself something for Valentine's Day. This is us. The, uh, there's no year more appropriate than you know. Just 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 gift yourself something. It's been yeah. a, a, a really brutal ten months, and it's going to be bad for a while. So. Get yourself some shirts. Yeah, and, and chances are, like, you know, you you burned through all the good shirts that you bought back in the fall during a football season that cursed all of them. So now you have to buy new shirts in order to get luck back for the team. That's how this works, yes. You you have to constantly be buying t-shirts, um, donate old shirts to, uh, you know, various uh, charities, and restock yourself. That You know, spring, spring, spring bloom. Um, even though we're pretty far from that here in the Northeast um, and in Syracuse, you're like four months from it. But um, yeah, no, I think, I think uh, a, a new shirts for new seasons to advance uh, move time forward, et cetera, et cetera. Indeed. Um, all right, Dan, what have you been drinking quick? And then we can talk some uh, women's basketball. Um, I have been drinking nothing. I've been a little bit under the weather, not so much anymore, but just like trying to let myself uh, get fully back to hundred percent before I, uh, throw beer at my uh you know uh 
body again. So I, I have been off of the booze for like two weeks now, but hopefully, you know, I'm pretty much 100% now. So hopefully in the next couple of days, I will crack into the uh, massive amount of single cut that's been sitting in my fridge for like two weeks. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, on my end, had some uh, Modern Times Foamer. It's a Pilsner from them. Had the Beachwood Blendery, uh, Imaginary Apples. was an apple sour that was really good. Uh, yeah, very, very good. Uh, worked with a local farm for like some local apples. That was good. Um, had School of Shadows, a dark lager from Modern Times, uh, German style. Um, and then from Highland Park, had uh, Help Yourself. It was a uh, farmhouse ale. Do I remember what was in it? Oh, guava and passion fruit. Um, and then tossed into barrels. So yeah, ends up being a, a kind of funky um, and, and, and milder uh, sour, which works for me. Very nice. Yeah, so Dan did want to talk about the, the women's team, obviously. Um, you know, because they, they, they definitely don't get enough appreciation, I feel like, among Syracuse fandom. But, but even on this program, I feel like, you know, we, we definitely don't cover them as much as we, we, we should and, and, and conceivably can, given the um, time constraints. But, you know, SU's lost two straight here. Um, unfortunately, we, we didn't get to do uh, a more dedicated portion of the episode when they were um, not losing two straight. Um, since winning two coming out of an extended break, um, against Miami, against North Carolina. Uh, they then had Duke game canceled. They dropped a, a, a heartbreaker to Louisville, really a game that they were in. Um, yeah, last it's Thursday. kind of got away from them late. Yeah, it got away from them late. And then and I feel like they really burned that is, out. That's number one Louisville for yeah. <laughs> those who are not as following the sport as closely right now. True. Yeah, number one Louisville, uh, definitely the best team in the country. Uh, and, and they really hung with them for, for the majority of about three quarters or so. Um, really even into the fourth before things just kind of like completely fell off the rails um, and then went down to Clemson, a depleted Clemson team. We were down 25. SU managed to force overtime due to some some more late game heroics from Emily Engsler. And unfortunately, um, SU fell 86-77 in overtime. Uh, that's really the more damning loss, unfortunately. Um, I feel like this is a better SU team than last year in part because Tiana's back. However, um, what troubles me here is that I don't because the same scrutiny is not necessarily going to be applied to the job Q's done because and, and rightfully in many ways, because Q has basically taken nothing, a program that did not matter in, in, in women's basketball and turned them into a, a perennial conference contender um, that made a final four that made a national championship game. Like I, I, I think it's tough to, to really decide like when, when you start questioning a lot, but this is one of the more talented teams in the country. And I feel like annually now, and, and this year would be another one, even given some of the, the, the issues with scheduling, like this is yet another year where I feel like SU is going to fall short of where they should be given what's on the roster. Yeah. I, I think it's tough because I think you have so many different factors at play. Like the men's team, they had a long, probably a longer shutdown. The men's team has had, yeah, they were, they were um, done for, I think a 28 days. Yeah, like, and and I I think it's very easy to underplay the impact that those have from both teams, um, and obviously other teams are dealing with the same stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so it's not everything, but when you have a month away where there's like very little that you're allowed to do as a team, and you're like, it's basically you're almost sticking like a mini off season like with that kind of length, um, 
I, I, it's, it's actually kind of impressive. They stepped right in and won that Miami game by 30 plus points. Um, but that doesn't mean that it didn't have impact, like going into the Louisville and Clemson games. Um, you also have like your most important player is still coming off of a, a, a cancer bout, which is like, it's, it's impressive that she's played as well as she has. And she's played like, there's some games where she looks lights out. There are some games where look, she looks less. So um, I think it'd be kind of like ignoring the, 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 how big a thing that is to just assume that Tiana is a hundred percent. Um, she's probably just like, she's probably still very much working her way back and to have like a weird month off in the middle of the season can't help where like, you're trying to find your flow and you're trying to, to stay in, in basketball shape, which is obviously, um, you know, as something we've seen with the men's team, like it's a struggle when you have that much time off. So to know from that and then to playing four games in the course of a week, basically like it's uh it's a, I'm not shocked that like, there, there have been some inconsistencies. Um, I think like the Q thing is tough because like he has, I, I think you can make the argument that some of these teams have underachieved uh, on a year to year basis, but like, are we anywhere near where we are? If he wasn't bringing in the kind of talent he is, I don't know. I don't know that you can plug someone else to like kind of do the, the pro sports thing or like, I feel like you see it a lot in baseball and, and the NBA where like, you know, teams kind of floating where they are. And then you're like, all right, we need someone to bring him into the next level. Like there's no guarantee that the next coach steps in and is able to recruit like top hundred players with, to the consistency where Q is. So I think you're really, you really have to be sure that things have kind of uh, stagnated before you make a move like that. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we're there to be honest. No, like, no, I, definitely not. And like this team could, could go on a nice run and like, you know, they have Pitt, they have a down Notre Dame team, they have Wake. Like, there isn't another huge, huge game here until they play Louisville a second time on, on uh, the 14th. Um, so, like, you know, they go on a run here and you, you quell a lot of concerns. But um, I think with this year, like, I, I wouldn't hold anything this year really uh, too hard against what she's done. Um, but, like, you know, I think you have to keep an open mind and, like, you have to say, like, you know, eventually we do need to have some more, uh, you know, deep tournament runs here. But this year, I think you, you kind of just take things in the context of like how crazy everything's been for both this team individually and for like the greater, you know, world. Yeah, I agree there. And, you know, you can kind of relate it back to a conversation earlier where like Kentucky's under 500, Duke's five and five. Like th- th- there's definitely a, a lot of a lot of caveats to be had. Um, I, I think that, yeah, the fact that Q got a team that didn't belong in the final four on paper into the final four, I, I think will speak volumes for a while. I think that given how tough it is to crack into that upper echelon of college basketball on the women's side, like it, it's worth giving some grace there. Um, you know, this program's only been past the sweet six into the sweet 16 or beyond once. And that was that season. So realistically, like he's already done more than any other coach has like by a mile has done more than what any other coach has for this program. That that's, that's not debatable. Um, I, I think that, what we need to do though is see as he's turned this into like a top 10 annual recruiting class program. That's awesome. We need to start seeing top 10 annual results. And, 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 you know, as, as we know in any, uh, you know, team, some on the college level, like some guy, some coaches are, are, are great recruiters and maybe not the best in game managers. Um, others are great, great in game managers and, and bring along players, um, but are not the best recruiters, but, but, that's okay at times because they they're able to coach them up into better players than they were when they got there. And, and I guess I'm, I don't think we're, again, I agree with you. I don't think we're at the place yet to question Q and job security at all. Um, but I am, what I am curious about is um, kind of like 
at what point does like if we if we get a top ten class again for the next few years and we still don't get past Sweet Sixteen or so, like then do the questions start? Like I, I'm honestly curious. Cause I honestly don't know. Yeah, it's it's also it, it's tough because it's just not you're not going to have the same level pretty much anywhere. Like I, there aren't, I don't think there are very many there are very many women's teams that would have the level of scrutiny where like if there was a Q level of success happening they would be really like obviously at UConn there would be but right. like they've only had the one coach they haven't had to do a transition from Oriema yet um obviously and Tennessee, Tennessee has, has this yeah. Tennessee has like Louisiana Tech maybe at one point did well, USC <laughs> back in the 80s yeah there are, there are there are definitely like individual programs it's just like it's so hard to compare because the sport has been so top heavy and so the talent's been so concentrated in a few places um like Notre Dame's an interesting example now um, obviously, I think they're going to uh, give their new coaching staff. Um, I forget who the the coach is. I know she's like a legendary player there, but her name's escaping me. But like, it's hard to replace a legend like Buffett McGraw. So I think they're going to give her like a fair amount of uh, leeway there. But that's like an example. That's like probably the biggest example since Pat Summit left Tennessee in terms of like transitioning. It's a uh, Neil Ivy uh, at Notre Dame. Um, transitioning from like the figure there to someone else and like obviously we know that we'll have the same thing at Syracuse and uh you know UConn will eventually have to do that when Oriama leaves although he seems like he might coach till he dies um he just has like spite for everyone and loves to beat everyone by a million points and you know more also hasn't won a title in like five years I know trust me my my I'm sure my dad is like you know, twitching over it. <laughs> My dad, for those unaware, um, his favorite sports team is the UConn women's basketball team of any team of any league um, by a large margin. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's just like in in even in men's college basketball, there's enough coaches like of the Bayheim est tier that are still coaching where you, it's easier easier to compare and contrast and like identify where you should be where you shouldn't be. Um, with women's basketball, it's a lot different uh, just because there's so few programs that have even made the investment that Syracuse has made, honestly, in terms of trying to ramp things up. Um, so you don't want to like upset the apple cart, but things are still trending in, I think, a generally good direction, even if like it has, it's been, it's had like real peaks and valleys, I think, along the way. Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. I think that I, I, I'm totally open to giving more time. I think everybody else should be for the most part. Like there, there are no guarantees that the next person is able to do what Q has done on, on either front, the, the in-game success or the recruiting success. Um, and, I think it's their fair, their fair questions though. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, and then, and that really is a sign that the women's team is becoming a bigger part of the greater tapestry of like this, this athletic department. And, and, and is a bigger part of like the consciousness of more fans when you're seeing conversations about like, man, like, I mean, I remember too, like when there used to be recaps on the women's games and there would be no comments, there would be no like greater conversation. And now like there is conversation about man, like, com- like game to game, this is what needs to change. Like, we're not seeing this. We're not seeing that. We need to see more of this. Like the, like the, those nuanced conversations, like it's awesome to see more of that. But with that also comes like, you know, scrutiny and, and rightfully so. And I, Again, we're 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 not there yet in in terms of questions, um, but I, I do think that hopefully, like the, this year aside, I do hope that like once we have the next like you know cohesive season, that 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 SU is able to start you know putting things together more consistently in a way that not only leads to regular season success but also um, you know postseason success. And and I'm not saying they need to make a Final Four every year, but Realistically, you should be in the Sweet 16 most seasons if you're, if you're bringing in top 10 talent. 
Yeah, I think it's a weird thing to say, but I think if you're Q, you'd much rather have a job where you could get fired if you weren't doing well enough to not, than to have a job where just no one cares. So I think he would also welcome like the level of pressure that I think is starting to bubble up. Oh yeah, and, and and I think he's always shown himself to be that sort of coach, and and he's he's pushed back in the media. He's he has he he reads. I mean, he might even listen to this. Who knows? But he he does read what's said about the team. Like, you know what? I I, I agree with you. I think I think I think he's a, a really competitive guy and, and someone who completely understands the the pressure on Syracuse basketball, men's and women's, um, at this point. And and in, and in large part, that's due the credit to him for for you know, kind of bringing those two programs on on as close to equal footing, at least right now, as, as you can probably envision for them. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a credit to him. And also, like, you know, that's that's he's kind of made his own. He's kind of created his own monster there. Um, but like you said, I think even, even we have complaints about the level of attention that the women's team does get. And, like, I think they're very valid. Uh, I think there's still a very like, stark difference in the post national championship of game appearance uh, years to what was happening before that. So I do think that's also on the upswing. And like you said, you do see it in terms of like, just the amount of like the tweets and reaction games happening. Like it's a, it's a whole nother world, even if it's not exactly where people hoped it would be by this point. Um, I do think it's still trending upwards. It's just like, it hasn't all come at once. Like some people might've expected. Yeah, I completely agree there. Um, Danny, it's one quick thing. We don't have to talk about this for very long at all. Um, we don't want to talk about the second half. <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about the second half at all. Um, why do you think, I mean, are you just, okay, rephrasing, are you disappointed that SU does not have um, fan cutouts at, at games this year? Um, it's just, it, it, honestly, I, I wouldn't say disappointed. Like, I don't really care personally. Like, I don't know that I would have bought one. Maybe I would have. It's weird that they seem so reluctant to do something to make a little bit of money that every other team is doing, basically. Like, basically every other team um, in across sports at this point. Uh, we're looking at them at Virginia here. Uh, technically still the reigning national champ. Um, they have them. Oh, it's just like, <laughs> there's just no COVID won last year. Is that, was that the, they, had, they won the tournament? That's the line that I had. Oh god, yeah. We're just inviting like UConn fans to do like COVID as many national championships as Jim Beheim, and I don't want that. I don't care for that, so I'm going to avoid that. Um, yeah, it's it's just like it just seems like a missed opportunity for and, and like there's no athletic department that like couldn't use some extra money this year. Honestly, we all know this. Um, Syracuse is certainly not like just swimming in in piles of cash. Uh, like like uh, it's it's it, I don't know. It just seems like a waste opportunity and like a lack of effort where like it just requires like oh my god we just threw the ball away on a fast break it was awful um it just seems like uh we're just not making an effort because we don't want to make an effort which is stupid yeah no bummer um hopefully we don't have to deal with this again though hopefully hopefully fan cutouts become that that funny thing that everyone just kind of forgets about in in, you know six months or so and then we just remember that thing i spent 80 dollars on yeah i mean i would have gotten one for my dog I would have considered it. Like it, I haven't even gotten the option. I haven't even like been able to explore within myself what that would be like <laughs> what what considerations would go through my head. I didn't get one for the Mets, so like, and I didn't really ever consider it. I probably would have been more likely to get one for Syracuse, but uh, you know, I don't know. I was never I was never approached with the uh, the chance, so we'll see. But I know there are plenty, probably plenty of people would have done it because 
like you look at any stadium across sports this year and like people did it people bought it also we just cannot stop throwing the ball away this is really bad yeah this is uh th- this is pretty disappointing um also predictable at the same time yeah i'm not gonna make take too much away from like a virginia game they're really good we're not that good yet but like it ugh, it's very it's frustrating yeah, like I kind of said this before the game. Um, like, this is not the game to like figure out whether like SU is getting better or not. Like, the NC State game is the Clemson game, maybe too. To be honest, like the next NC State, like three of the next four will tell you a lot more about this team. Like, we got NC State, Louisville at Clemson at NC State. Like, if you win three of those four, especially if one of them's Louisville, uh, if you win three of those four, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, then you look pretty solidly like you are in the upper upper echelon of the mediocre middle of the ACC, which I think is a fine place to be in terms of like tournament consideration. Totally. Even if you go two and two, to be honest, you know, like if you go two and two and and get things done against like mediocre Notre Dame and BC teams, like the rest of the way, like you're you're all right. But re- realistically, like we weren't going to learn a ton from this game unless SU won. Yeah, it's just like it seems like it could be a lot closer, and Syracuse is just not playing well. It's not like Virginia is like just lights out tonight. It's just Syracuse. There are nights. It's not lights on. (laughs) There, the lights are not on. It's 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 incredibly frustrating. And like we just, I I mean, I'm like half paying attention right now as I'm recording this podcast, and I just watched us turn the ball over what felt like five times in the course of like three minutes. So um, that's not going to get it done. And somehow we're still only down thirteen. Like it's conceivable we come back and win this game. It's just. It's it just very frustrating when it seems like they do everything possible to not get back into games where the other team is inviting it. It's like the weirdest, uh, like most balanced offensive attack we've ever had, though. Nine for, I mean, again, not recapping a game that's not over, but nine for Buddy, eight for Joe, six for Dolajai, 11 for Griffin, nine for Gary A. That is strange. Especially because like, like, a lot of those guys, like, I think I would assume Buddy is like less less than a point per shot. Yeah, yeah, he's got eleven field goals. So, <laughs> Joe is Joe is for once uh, more than a point per shot. Um, Eight point six six shots. Dolajai, of course, five shots, uh, six points. Uh, Griffin, uh, eleven points on ten shots, and Garrier, an actually un- inefficient, eleven shots for nine points. Yeah, that's a pretty stunning. I know Garrier's kind of gotten like I think Virginia has a better interior defense than we've seen a lot of, especially with Huff. Um, I mean, they're, I mean, they're fantastic. I mean, that, that was the big problem I saw coming into this game is that uh, one of the, like, as far as like protecting the rim, like UVA is one of the best teams in the country at doing that. And considering we only have a chance on offense, if we can attack the rim, um, I, I was very, very concerned about what happened here. Yeah. And, and obviously like they also protect the perimeter pretty well. I don't know about this. I haven't looked at the numbers for this year, but just like, you know, this year, not so much actually. Really? Okay. Yeah, I this was just year they're actually like 220, 225th, I think, this year. That's in terms interesting. Of opposing field goal percentage from three. I wouldn't have guessed that based on tonight. Like, it seems like they've gotten after dies pretty well. But we've also just missed, like, some pretty decent shots. Um, and, you know, not to rehash it again, but, you know, there are times. <laughs> it's tough. It's, this, is, this was not a well – this was not a great game for us if we can't attack the rim – with any kind of a, like and, and shoot that like really efficient number from there and also can't hit threes even when they're open and then like the mid-range is just kind of a, a mess with the pack line so um yeah i mean this might just be like a really awful matchup for us kind of like we were a really awful matchup for, for virginia tech but I, having watched this game like, i can't help but think like 
if we just played within ourselves a little bit more, this would be a much, much closer game. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously if SU manages to win this game, I'm going to record an apology podcast tomorrow morning to follow this one. up. That's fair. I mean, if it happens tonight, like just, 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 shoot me a slack message i'll pop on for 15 minutes <laughs> honestly no i i no, I, I think we have to wallow in our in our failure and and, and then and then record a, an additional like 10 minute apology i'll happily it's a do separate that. It's a separate episode I'm, i'll happily do that i mean i'll might interrupt myself making dinner but whatever all good um all right dan anything else before we leave no hopefully we have to record an apology in like uh an hour so we'll look out for that delightful all right, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon's Naps of the Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and Orange. Orange.